listening to In Tune, a podcast series featuring equity research analysts from BMO Capital Markets. Our shows explore key emerging themes, trends, and issues which are important to our institutional clients globally. Welcome, everyone. My name is Tim Casey. I'm the telecom, cable, and media analyst at BMO Capital Markets. And thanks for listening to our podcast today on 5G. Our work today is complemented by a recent report we put out in September of this year on 5G called 5G, It's a Marathon, But Still a Race and also works from a report we put out in June of 2019, which was a primer on 5G called Field of Dreams. So today what I hope to do is provide you an update on the progression of 5G deployment around the world, what the next milestones are going to be for a more fulsome deployment in Canada, some of the key factors that will determine the speed and success of that deployment, And obviously, we'll touch on uh, who we think will be some potential winners and losers from this new wireless platform. To summarize our findings, I would say the following. First and foremost, it remains very early days in the deployment of 5G. If you've listened to any webcasts or earnings calls from any wireless carriers around the world, you have heard virtually every executive say it's a marathon and that it's early days. And this is certainly true in Canada, and we're probably a little bit behind some of the other big industrialized countries, certainly in Asia and a little bit in the US, but not insurmountably so by any stretch. Uh, We think the initial stages of 5G will feel like more like better 4G. In other words, we think the apps you use now will just perform much more efficiently. They'll be better, they'll be faster, they'll be richer. We don't think there'll be an impact on financial statements of Canadian carriers from 5G investments really until 2023, certainly in terms of the income statement. And we would expect we'll have a full-blown 5G experience somewhere in the 2025 timeframe if you're thinking of longer-term implications. In terms of the near-term milestones that the industry needs to get through before we get a clearer picture on how this will unfold, I would suggest four items. Up front would be the wireless review. This is a uh, review done by the regulator. It is done every five years. The outcome of this review has been delayed by COVID. We're expecting at any time there is really no chatter from any of our contacts on the carrier or the government side as to when it's going to come out. We would think it'll come out before the end of the year. The hot topic on this review, as you know, is MBNOs, Mobile Virtual Network Operators. We think the government will mandate some sort of hybrid MBNO, but one that will not be disruptive to carrier economics and one that will not attract a lot of investment capital. The next big milestone will be what are called mid-band auctions. We're going to get into this in detail, but this is the next set of spectrum auctions, and that is due in June of 2021. That would be followed by more spectrum auctions in 2022 and 2023, 
both at the higher spectrum or a high band levels, as well as more mid band. And also carriers around the world are moving forward on deploying what's called a 5G standalone core. We expect in Canada, that's probably a late 2022 or 23 timing. And we'll get into that in a bit on, on what that means. In terms of what are the implications of 5G, from a user perspective, there'll be three major factors. One, 5G will be much faster. It'll be up to 100 times faster than existing 4G deployment when it is fully deployed. Uh, you know, In practical terms, that means you will download a movie onto your phone in seconds instead of much longer time periods. The network will be much denser there'll be probably 10 times as many devices connecting to the network and many of them connecting much differently than what happens with a traditional consumer handset. And finally, we'll also see uh, much lower latency. That means the interaction between the device and the network will be much quicker and that will enable all sorts of new use cases that uh, you couldn't do with existing platforms. Two other things to keep in mind, however, from a carrier perspective, a 5G platform will be a much more efficient way to move data across the network. It is very hard to model out in terms of what that means for operating margins, but every carrier we have talked to in Canada, outside of Canada, will suggest that this efficiency factor alone justifies the investments in the 5G platform. The other thing about 5G is it will be a virtualized network. It'll be much more software driven. This will enable a concept called network slicing, which means you'll be able to dedicate part of the network to a particular customer. It will be very useful in an enterprise cases and where you'll be able to provide customized solutions to enterprise customers. Think of it this way, you know, a trucking company with a fleet of autonomous vehicles on a major highway system will want one set of solutions Whereas a manufacturing plant trying to get cables off the shop floor would require another set of performance attributes. And finally, you know, a, an alarm or metering company checking for, you know, water levels or throughput levels of electricity, things like that, obviously would require an entirely different set of performance metrics. And a 5G network will enable carriers to do that. It's worth reviewing the spectrum characteristics of a 5G uh, network, which are going to be so different and so central to performance in the next generation of wireless platforms. A 5G experience requires three bands of spectrum, what is known as low, mid, and high band. Low band spectrum is essentially anything below one gig. Uh, a lot of it is widely deployed globally now. The 4G networks that we all use mainly rest on this low band spectrum. There's also been some recent auctions of other low band spectrum, what's in the 600 megahertz range, that is going to be used for initial 5G deployments in Canada. Low band is what is referred to as coverage spectrum. That is because it is a lower frequency spectrum, the radio waves are longer and they propagate more efficiently across the horizon. So it's very important in lower density areas like Canada. And as I said, it supports existing platforms already. In Canada, we did complete the 600 megahertz auction in 2019. The industry spent three and a half billion dollars 
Rogers was roughly half of that. Telus spent uh, around $700 million. And interestingly, BCE did not acquire any of the 600 spectrum. And the challenge for them will be to refarm existing low-band spectrum for 5G deployment. The next uh, layer of spectrum is what's called mid-band. That is anywhere between 1 and 6 gigahertz. It is often referred to as the workhorse band for 5G. It is deployed globally, except for in the U.S., where they have some band management issues they've got to work through, and there will be auctions coming up in the U.S. As I said, this auction is scheduled for next June. All the operators you speak to in Canada describe this as a critical asset for successful 5G deployment. So I would expect aggressive bidding in this auction. Worth noting that Bell & Rogers will retain some mid-band spectrum through an existing joint venture they have called the Nookshook. They own uh, a lot of mid-band spectrum, but it is currently licensed. It's not available for mobile use. That will change with this auction. But there are 200 megahertz going to become for sale in this auction. Operators generally want somewhere between 80 and 100 So you can see this auction is not going to satisfy everybody's need. When you have three incumbents and then a fourth player across the country, there are set-asides in this auction, but this will be a very important auction and there will be followed by another mid-band auction likely in 2023. So we think ultimately there'll be enough to go around, but uh, we expect an aggressive bidding environment from all operators next June. In terms of where we land, the industry spent $3.5 billion on 600 megahertz auction. It spent $5.3 billion in 2014 on 700 megahertz spectrum. Both of those were described as critical, uh, much like they described the the mid-band auction. So we think they'll end up somewhere between those two guideposts, and it will certainly entail price per unit of spectrum that um, that is going to be above what we've seen in other areas, in our opinion. Finally, there'll be millimeter wave auction. This is what's called high band spectrum. This is for spectrum that is above six gigahertz notionally, but we're going to be into the 20s. This is the spectrum that provides a couple things. One, there's so much of it. As you go up the band, you are able to get much more spectrum in these auctions. So there really will be a lot of millimeter wave available. And it'll also be very fast. This is the spectrum that will ultimately carry the super fast speeds that 5G has potential for. The problem with high band spectrum is it does not propagate very well. The distance from transmitter to receiver in terms of antennas is very short and it it does not go through buildings very well. So this is why you need a combination of low, mid and high band spectrum to fulfill all the performance possibilities that 5G offers. It would be very difficult to do that on one band. So spectrum auctions over the next couple of years will be critical in establishing the competitive landscape for 5G. Following on on the spectrum discussion, I wanted to review a few other issues that will be very important for carriers before they get to be able to offer a full-blown 
5G experience to customers. As I mentioned, one of the issues will be a much denser network. So because you'll have so many more devices connected to the network, and because you will be deploying spectrum with very poor propagation characteristics, we'd expect there'll be 10 times as many cell sites in 5G as there are in 4G. Some of these will be very small units. They'll be the size of a pizza box in a town square or uh, on rooftops or on transit shelters. But you know, it will take time for network densification efforts to be fulfilled. The other thing is backhaul. The network will require a lot of fiber to move data across the network. Uh, Bell and Telus are saying publicly that 90% of their existing cell sites are already reached by fiber. Rogers doesn't provide an equivalent number, but I would expect much more fiber deployment and backhaul will be very important in 5G as it is in any wireless platform. Another issue will be the configuration of the network between core and non-core. In existing platforms, much of the intelligence of a network is in what's called the core. In a 5G configuration, much of the intelligence will be pushed out to the edge of the network, what's called MEC or mobile edge computing. This will help to enable the low latency performance characteristics that 5G will offer. And that will you know, really be key to enabling things like autonomous driving and some remote health applications. One interesting anecdote about MEC is that carriers are already beginning negotiations and in some cases partnerships with cloud providers. And we'll come back to that in a little bit. I mentioned earlier that it is important for carriers to transition to what's called a standalone core. Basically right now, any deployments in 5G are being done on existing infrastructure and new software, and that results in what's called a non-standalone core. A non-standalone core allows carriers to deploy a 5G network today um, and begin the trialing that's required you know, to really future-proof the network. They can do it with existing infrastructure. But there is definitely a concerted effort globally to deploy a standalone core, which is, think about it as a pure 5G core. And this is just another element in enabling the promise of 5G with all the issues we talked about earlier regarding lower latency and faster performance. You're not going to get there. You're not going to be able to drive all the performance and efficiency characteristics promised by 5G unless you have a standalone core. Speaking to the Canadian carriers, they're very coy on timing because it's a, obviously a very competitive issue, but we think we'll see standalone cores in Canada in late 2022 or certainly 2023. Obviously, one of the most important issues for investors regarding 5G is monetization. In other words, how will carriers monetize the investments they're making in 5G? I've already mentioned that the carriers believe 5G will bring efficiency gains, which will justify these investments. But clearly, investors are going to want transparent revenue gains from 5G to justify the investments being made globally. In terms of those revenues, it remains very, very early days. Uh, there are a lot of potential use cases, and we review them in detail in both the reports. But as we sit here today, 
I really don't see any line of sight to any of these applications in the very near term. They still remain very much as theoretical or in the lab, so to speak. And I think it is important for carriers to prove to investors that 5G really does represent new revenue sources. Certainly, carriers will monetize on connectivity. One thing about 5G is that it absolutely will mean more data consumption. That historically has been a drive of revenues for carriers. It's one of the principal reasons that carriers are moving aggressively toward what they market as unlimited plans. These are bigger bucket data plans, so people don't worry so much about data usage. That will be very important in 5G. But we think that carriers are going to have to demonstrate that they can generate new incremental revenues beyond just connectivity. And we think the most likely spot for that is going to be on the enterprise side. Verizon is telling the street they expect revenues to show up in their financial statements around 2021, given Canada historically has been two years behind the U.S. in terms of deployment of new platforms. That would suggest something like 2023. We think that is reasonable. But beyond that, you know, I think what the carriers are going to have to demonstrate is that they can move up the stack, so to speak, that they can be more partners with businesses in developing some of these new 5G applications. And to wit, they are already negotiating with cloud providers in terms of putting intelligence at the edge of the network. The concept referred to as MEC, Mobile Edge Computing. Many carriers believe the original sin was in giving away geopositioning data in 3G, which led to so many value-add applications in 4G that they weren't able to participate in. And they're trying to avoid that mistake by getting in early with cloud partnerships in the early stages of 5G. In terms of a strictly Canadian perspective on 5G, just a few items to go through here. I mentioned the wireless review. Uh, as I said, the timing is imminent but unknown. The key there, as I said, will be the nature of the MVNO regulations and how that will impact the willingness of carriers to deploy capital. We don't think you know, a 5G outlook hinges on the wireless review, but it's certainly going to be impactful. Another high profile issue is Huawei, which is a global telecom equipment vendor, very successful, but ultimately, you know, a security threat uh, given its uh, relationship with the Chinese government. Uh, Huawei is really a TELUS problem. Rogers and the cable companies have no exposure. Bell has quantified their exposure as, uh, you know, a few hundred million dollars. We think they can run that through in terms of removing Huawei gear within their existing CapEx envelope. TELUS hasn't given an exact number, but it's about twice what Bell's exposure is. The key there will be how quickly does the government mandate they remove 5G and will there be any government funding for 5G a replacement of Huawei gear, as we've seen in other jurisdictions? You know, the carrier argument here is that the government sanctioned their ability to deploy Huawei gear and it's now changing their mind. Ultimately, as I said, this is a TELUS problem and we think it is one that is manageable for them. We don't think it'll impair the investment thesis on 5G, even if it goes against them, but still a lot of uncertainty on that file. Uh, another issue that gets brought up a lot is the potential for 5G and consolidation within the Canadian competitive landscape. 
Over time, the deployment of new technologies usually is driven by the concept that scale matters in network businesses, be they wireline or wireless. We think that is certainly going to be the case in 5G. And the two names that you know would be potential candidates here are the same two names that have been around for a long time, and that is Kojiko and Shaw. Kojiko is obviously much more high profile now, given the recent uh, non-solicited offer from Altice and Rogers. I won't go into that issue in detail, but you know we are on record saying that it's very skeptical that the O'Days will sell. But thinking longer term, we think 5G will be very transformative for the wireless business. And there certainly is the potential for 5G to be a competitive threat to some wireline operators down the road. And, you know, certainly Kojiko would fit that description in our mind. But, you know, obviously the family has been very clear about their intentions. So we'll just leave it at that. In terms of Shaw, once again, a name that has been discussed as a potential takeover candidate for Rogers for a long, long time. Will 5G be an incentive or a catalyst for the family to seek uh, a combination with Rogers? That remains to be seen. We don't think it's it's a near-term story. We think the Shaw Communications is very incented to participate in the next rounds of spectrum auctions because there will be set-asides for them and they will be able to buy spectrum at below market prices. We'd also note that Shaw has lots of access to capital, has a very clear strategic direction. Succession is in place if Brad Shaw wants to move up to chairman. But you know, down the road, you can't deny that a Roger-Shaw combination makes a lot of industrial logic. Uh, the issue is wireless. It is a regulatory hurdle that would have to be overcome. One potential solution is can Rogers bring Quebecor in as a partner in this deal? Quebecor would buy the wireless operation offshore with Rogers, alleviate the regulatory hurdle. The challenge becomes how can Rogers incent Quebecor to do that? A network and spectrum sharing deal might be the trick there, but modeling it out before we know who owns what spectrum and what the rules of engagement are is is really, we don't think, worthwhile. So something to think about down the road. In terms of CapEx updates, we hear the same thing from all the incumbents that 5G deployment will be done within their existing CapEx envelope. A review of global telecom carriers suggests that is largely par for the course among most Western carriers. In Asia, there's been a slight uptick in a couple of carriers there, but they have a much different regulatory structure. And of course, these capital intensity you know, directives from the carriers exclude Spectrum. And as I mentioned, we think they will be spending billions on Spectrum over the next few years. In terms of assessing winners and losers among the carrier community with respect to 5G, we think it's very early days, particularly given we don't know what the spectrum holdings are going to be and once again, what the wireless review is going to entail. But nonetheless, you know, we will share our views on this topic. I think what underlines our view is just a basic principle that scale matters. And we think scale really matters in wireless, and we think it'll really matter in 5G. To that end, Bell does offer some attractive characteristics on the issue of scale. 
In terms of financials, it's just a much bigger company. It generates north of $10 billion of EBITDA, whereas Rogers and Talos are around six and Quebecor and Shaw are around two. That's going to be important. It also has a much larger wireline footprint. It serves well north of 10 million homes in Canada, whereas the rest of the group is four and a half million or less. So they definitely bring scale to the table. In terms of Rogers, they are clearly deploying uh, much more aggressively than Bell or Telus. That's in part due to their auction strength in terms of low band 600 auction. They also own their own network. There are no potential conflicts of interest with respect to customers down the road. So Rogers is certainly has a plan of attack here. And they are going to have some strengths they can bring to the table. TELUS, you know, has tremendous operating momentum. They're farther ahead than Bell in terms of fire deployment in their network. So they certainly bring some attributes to the table. And on the enterprise side, Bell should have the best relationship there, given their incumbency in enterprise. We do think 5G will be much more of a challenge for regional operators like Quebecor and Shaw. Once again, it's the scale argument. And as incumbent cable companies, they, they just don't have the enterprise base that the telcos do. And we do think that 5G will be a challenge for Kojiko, certainly um, on any wireless deployments that they partake in with their hybrid MBNO model. And as I mentioned earlier, 5G, be it either a mobile cellular deployment or a fixed wireless deployment, could certainly be a competitive threat to Kojiko down the road. And we'd also suggest that legacy media models, the, that 5G will be yet one more disruptive force on a lot of those models going down, given we think it is going to change distribution and consumption of content across a number of devices. So I think we'll leave it there. As I mentioned, we think it's very early days in 5G. A lot of important milestones are going to be crossed in the next couple of years. We think scale is very important. We'd highlight Bell as a leader in that regard. And following on that, we do think that 5G will be more challenging for smaller regional operators and may in time drive another round of consolidation. Please follow up with me at your convenience if you want to have any follow-up discussions on 5G or on, on the sector. And I'd also highlight that our reports are available on the BMO Research website if you want to take a look at those. Once again, Tim Casey at BMO Capital Markets, and thank you very much for your time. Thanks for listening to Intune. Presented by BMO Capital Markets Equity Research. You can subscribe to Intune on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast providers. Or visit our website at researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com to listen to more podcasts. Until next time, thank you for tuning in. To access our full disclosures, please visit researchglobalzero.bmocapitalmarkets.com slash public dash disclosure.